Hello everyone, welcome back to the show. Today we're very happy to have、um, Emma Westenberg from、uh, joining us from France in Calais.、Uh, so hello, Emma. How are you? Perfect. I'm a bit. I'm a bit tired from today. It was a long day, but it's okay. I'm ready for this podcast. Great. Then、uh, we'll get started. So I'll, I'll actually let Camila do the introduction first. Um, so I guess、um, we'll start out by getting to know Emma a little bit better. I mean, you're kind of a legend at Miranopolis, so I would be very surprised if people don't know you. But like, just for those who may not know who you are, then、um, could you give a brief introduction about yourself, your program when you were at Miranopolis, and the school that you're going to attend in the coming year? Okay, so I'm definitely not the legend at Miranopolis. I don't know where that comes from.、Um, But yeah, my name is Emma Westenberg. I go. I used to go to Marinopolis College. I graduated in honors commerce. I did two years of honors commerce, and、um, the fun factor too that I was、um, given to prepare was、um, I have never broken a bone, and、uh, knock on wood that I will never break a bone. And that's a classic. Like everybody has that fun fact. And the second fun fact would be that I'm very cheap, a bit too much sometimes. I go crazy for sales. Um, and so I get almost everything secondhand, including I got my bunny off of Kijiji, which is basically like an online selling site. Normally, you're not supposed to get your animals from from online, but I got mine for ninety dollars, and it came with the cage, the food, a blanket. I got such a good deal. But yeah, that's a fun fact. Two fun facts about me. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually really cool.、Um, About honors commerce. So, why did you choose this program? I mean, Marinopolis offers a variety of programs, but you specifically chose to go into honors commerce. Would you mind telling us why? Yeah,、um, sure. This is also I wanted to mention. This is like a repeated question that I get as like a Silver Key student ambassador. So it's really interesting that you guys ask this question. But I chose honors commerce because I love challenges, and it's if I have an opportunity to learn more, like I'm going to do it. And also, it was part of the experience to meet a lot of high-up individuals in the fields of I don't know finance, marketing. To meet them, to get to connect with them on LinkedIn, to get to speak to them, to get to just know what they do on a day-to-day basis, and for them to speak to me and say, "Hey, look, I work in finance. This is what I do、um, every day." And and me being able to see, okay, maybe I don't really like what he does. Or I don't really like what she does, and to be able to narrow, kind of what I want to do in the future through their business minds, is something that I take very much、um, not for granted. Also, being in honors commerce permits you to meet incredible, incredible people. I know I started working with one of my friends in honors commerce to create a business. It didn't go very well. It was kind of a failure, but that is okay because we started in March 2020. And、uh, yeah, the only thing that people wanted in March 2020 were like toilet papers and like a refund from Air Canada.、Um, so our product didn't really sell well. But to have had the experience and just just the experience of creating a new company with a, a friend from Honors Commerce was such a good win. And and to be able to be surrounded by like-minded individuals, it's always very fun. But yeah, that's really that's, awesome. Like yeah. Really, really cool.、Um, I'm very impressed that you guys took like 
the took the step or like took the leave of faith to even try and put yourselves out there and start your own company make your own product kind of thing because i feel like a lot of us have so many ideas but we're all a little like too nervous or you know like we're thinking too much and not entirely ready to like do that so a lot of um like i really admire you for doing just that um i i'm actually like a um uh what would you call it kind of like a lower year in the same program as you so i happen to have um, the opportunity to hear you speak to us a bit about the program at mm-hmm. the very beginning of last year. And um, from that, I heard that you're actually a Francophone person. And mm-hmm. um, however, you chose to attend Marinopolis, which is mainly like our courses are mainly delivered in English. And um, would you mind telling us how was that experience and why you chose to go to Marinopolis as opposed to maybe a French seizure? That is also a question I get a lot as a Slovakian. So, like, how was the transition from a French high school to an English hijab? Um, to me, it wasn't really hard because number one, my dad spoke to me in English all the time. So, like, I'm, I'm I consider myself a native English speaker. But the hardest for me was not even the different language. For me, it was the math course, the X and the Y with x and y that completely was just it shattered all of my expectations i was confused and the first time they were like le sommet and le vertex the vertex i didn't understand for me i was just the most confused in math but then for english there's so much support at the college you can go to the writing center you can even ask your teachers um they're always there to to lend a, a helping hand um and so, yeah, I didn't find that it was much of a struggle in to switch from French to English. And I'm glad I did because now I'm going to an English university and kind of knowing how to structure essays. Like li- the little marqueur de relation, to know those is super essential. Like likewise, moreover, furthermore, little things like that is super useful, I find. And to have been to Marinopolis in an English hijab is going to help me enormously when I go to uh, Rotterdam School of Management. That's really cool. And I, feel like, um, I might jump ahead a teeny tiny bit since you brought up that topic of going to an English university. So have you always wanted to go to an English university? And is that why you chose to do CJAB in English? Or is there another reason to that? Um, <laughs> to be honest, you guys are asking questions that I didn't really think about. Um, but honestly... I just go with the flow a lot of the times, and that sounds very hippie of me, but <laughs> I just I speak English now, and I can go back to a French uh, university, but I also, I don't want to roast the French language on this podcast, but I find that writing for me in French is much harder, like all the conjugaison and all the verbs and all the, it's a lot harder, and the words, they just flow way quicker in English to me. I think it's more a, a better language for me to express myself in. And so that's why I picked an English high school. And and no, 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 not English high school. What I'm talking about. Long day, long day. English CJEP and English University. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for your answer. I'm going to hand it back to Henry to um, continue with some extracurricular questions. Yeah, since you already uh, touched upon a silver key, so uh, can you just give us a a brief overview of what Silver Key is for the next uh, first year students, and also how was your experience in Silver Keys? 
So full disclaimer here, um, I'm going to be 100% biased. Um, I've been in that club for two years and I absolutely love it. And so if you're hoping to find something negative here about the club, like you're not going to find it to look somewhere else. Um, but honestly, Silver Key, I met such incredible people. We're, we're a bunch of leaders coming together, trying to show the school. Um, and it's just such a good vibe. I loved leading people and leading people by example. So for example, Camilla, you, you mentioned that um, you saw me during the high school visit and you probably heard me say, oh, hi, I'm, I'm, my name is Emma. I'm a first year in honors commerce. I really had to show and lead by example so that other prospective students can see themselves in my position and be able to do the same thing when they come to Marianopolis and when they want to market the school. So leading by example is something that I really love and that I learned um, doing with Silver Key. Also, the second year, I was director of finance. And director of finance sounds like a super high up position, but I really was just spreadsheeting, uh, doing the spreadsheets on Excel and just adding money and subtracting money. Um, so it really wasn't hard math. Um, and I learned how to use Excel and how to stay on top and just basically email. A lot of emails were sent to Emmanuel Corto to really just keep, keep in touch with the VP of finance and uh, keep everything organized. That's what I learned as a Silver Key member. But yeah, I suggest anybody to apply to Silver Key. It's a great group of people. And yeah, enough for the publicity for Silver Key. <laughs> Actually, uh, final publicity for Silver Key. <laughs> um, what, what, is, what do you think is uh, it's your most important skill that you learned at Silver Key? Silver Key? Um, I, think, I think it's just how to socialize with people. How to, I'm, I find that I'm relatively good with strangers, but I think I... I, I improved on how to approach strangers and how to make them feel comfortable, how to make them feel comfortable by speaking with them, by kind of knowing their names and knowing what they like and just interacting with people and making sure that Marinopolis is a really good school and that you can't go wrong going to Marinopolis. Like you really can't go wrong. Uh, it's an incredible school and you're going to meet incredible people and incredible, incredible, incredible. I just said those words a lot because it's true, because it's true. Perfect. Then jumping on to more university application type of questions. So, um, uh, did, uh, did, do you think these extracurriculars or any other extracurriculars that you did helped you with your university application? Um, to be honest, it really depends on the school. I know that for McGill, it was give me your code permanent, give me your permanent code, and then like you're done. And then that's it. That's all. So we don't want to know anything kind of more but also that was des hotels i've heard that for laws different and for medicine you probably had to give it your all but for des hotels it was just code permanent what are your grades what's your r score and that's it but i do know that for u of t and ubc i really had to give them the story of my life um so what i did at silver key what i did at operation smile and and a lot of activities i had to mention and for the Rotterdam School of Management, they were more interested in my international background. So I basically just repeated international, international, international 25 times in my application. Um, and I mentioned, you know, trips I have taken or um, how my mom is French and my dad is Dutch. And I live in Canada and Montreal is very multicultural and all these things. So it really depends. I can't tell you for sure that these extracurriculars helped me, but they kind of helped me in discovering who I am um, and, and what I want for the future. 
So, for example, I joined the the Marinopolis. Uh, I know what it's called the for the stock market. Uh, not case investment club. club yeah, and I realized doing that in investment competition and stock market competitions, I don't really like that. But that's good. That's not something that's good because I learned that I don't really want to have career in finance in the future. Whereas case competitions, I really liked, and I really liked pitching a product or or solving a problem. So it's the extracurriculars that helped me kind of narrow down what I wanted. And with that, I applied to the universities that I thought um, corresponded with my choices. Okay. Actually, we totally forgot this, but uh, c- could you first clarify what extracurriculars you did uh, in CJEP before we getting all confused about your oh, sorry. activities? Sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, so we've already spoken about Silver Key a lot. Um, so I was director of finance in that. Um, I did Operation Smile. I was the VP of communications, but once again, like VP, I did not own Operation Smile. Like it sounds very big and very fancy, but I literally just sent Myos. I sent Myos saying, "Hey, the meeting is starting in five minutes. It would be great for you to join." Type of thing. Like it wasn't crazy. Um, and then I was also in charge of logistics for the Hot Potato Initiative Club, and there I just did anything that needed help. Um, there really wasn't like an assigned role for me. I was also part of Global Brigades, um, and there we went to Honduras, not uh, physically, of course, but online. We went in a hospital, basically a hospital room, and we kind of analyzed what the patients needed. Um, that was with Global Brigades. And you may be asking yourself, like, like Emma, well, like, why you're going into commerce, but you're uh, into medicine here? Um, but honestly, I just apply to anything that shows up on my Facebook feed, and then I, I think about the rest later. Uh, that's kind of my, uh, that's what happened at Jonah Club Day. I was just, you know what, let me put my name on everything and we'll see, we'll narrow it down from there. And that's, so that's what I did. That's what, how I did Operation uh, Global Regez. I'm very happy I did that. And it's also how I did Operation Smile. Like I had no idea of these, all these clubs before. Um, and I was also part of the soccer, flag football, kinball and frisbee teams. That, of course, that sounds impressive, but once again, like COVID hit and flag football, I think I did three practices with them and then it was finished. And Kinball, it started in the second year by my friend. Um, and then Frisbee team. Frisbee team was super interesting because we'd always try to get our practices in between each wave. So basically, as soon as Lego said, uh, François Lego or like the government said, okay, you guys are allowed eight people, we would automatically have a Frisbee team, have a Frisbee practice with eight people right away. And so it was really funny because we were constantly like moving around the government's rules and, and really making sure that we had practices. Whereas for soccer, since it's so intercollegiate, I don't think, well, the government, I, I keep saying the government, but it's not, it's like the whole system did not want a lot of um, kids coming together from different schools because that would just have a massive bubble and have a massive explosion. Explosion. I don't know how what that word is in English, but have that outbur- outburst. Outbreak. Outbreak. Coronavirus yes. outbreak. I should know this by now. We've been here for two years. But yeah, um, I also did the third world studies and international studies certificate, which I can talk more about. But you guys are both on the same third world study yeah. certificate gang. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, actually, we have to do some publicity for third world studies certificate for the first year here. Um, if you're interested, go talk to Professor Dolores Chu or Philip Deng or Mohis Tufo for interesting application. Um, and anyway, uh, back to the uh, back to the interview here. 
Um, so how do you think these uh, activities help you better understand your interest uh, and yourself? Um, as I said previously, it really attending the most activities for me is the most fulfilling thing. I find it very interesting and satisfying to have a very busy agenda. That's just me. I love doing checklists. I love always meeting new people and speaking with different individuals is very fascinating to me. So, for example, attending Global Brigades and being in the hospital room in Honduras, I learned that, you know what, like seeing blood, I, I can't. I, ju I just can't. Like, it's not my thing. And I know that I don't want to go into medicine. Um, and then also for, for soccer teams, I mean, I met really nice people and I spoke out about them for arts and science. And I learned that, hey, maybe that's not for me either. Um, third world studies, I learned a lot. Not even not even like school stuff, school related, but also on volunteerism. That's helping me a lot right now. I'm at Calais, but we can speak about that later. An international study certificate to learn about poverty around the world instead of just in Canada. It, it made me a better citizen. As cringy as that sounds, it really did make me a better citizen. Perfect. Uh, I guess cringing is okay. We'll just turn that into good publicity material. Anyway, actually, I'll leave it to Camilla to talk about your volunteering work in Calais right now. Sure thing. Um, so as we know, Emma is currently abroad right now um, in France, specifically, if I'm correct. And uh, we heard that you are currently volunteering. Um, would you mind telling us how that came about and um, the kind of work you're doing? Yeah, definitely. Um, so once again... The first thing I'll say is we're looking for volunteers. If you're interested, please, please be my guest. We're looking for volunteers. Um, any Anybody can come and come, can help. And I'll just explain more what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. So I discovered this opportunity through Indigo Volunteers. This is another publicity for Indigo Volunteers. What they do is a super interesting uh, platform where they connect volunteers with associations. So as soon as I said I speak English and French on my application, they sent me me right away to Calais because it is English and French. It's on the border of France and England. So they really like that. And they're like, Emma, we know you speak English and French. Come and help us and be a translator and just help around the warehouse. Um, and so what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, it's 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 varying all the time. Humanitarian section uh, sector is completely changing every single day. But today, for example, I did some physical work. I did some mental work. So physical work would be packing. So what we do at the Calais Food Collective, a brief little resume or summary, is we distribute food to people in, not in need, but the migrants in refugee camps. In, yeah, in refugee camps. And we distribute the food to their, to their tents, to their tents. And we don't make them wait at the back of the van. We distribute it. Um, with a wheelbarrow and everything, it's it's not simple, but we find that it lowers the power dynamics that exist, and so we give the food to them, basically to their tent, so that they could cook on their own time, so that if they're away, doing doing something else, that the food will be there. The food will be there no matter what. So we have the extreme privilege to be able to go into the tents. They've told us yes, you can, um, and I find that super cool. Um, so that would be day-to-day, -day, physical. And then mentally, um, well, not mentally, but like using my brain a bit, is I'm on WhatsApp and I'm contacting, constantly contacting volunteers 
who want to come. I ask them, are you a driver? Uh, when are you going to come? And I kind of organize what volunteers are going to come and what volunteers are going to leave um, so that we're never without volunteers because I would end up in the the death of Cali Food Collective as, as um, bad as that sounds. Um, and then also mental work. I'm also working on a newsletter for the Cali Food Collective, um, a report basically, a July 2021 report. Like after this podcast, I'm going to write it up. Um, and then I'm also doing Instagram. I created their LinkedIn account because it's a very left industry. Like uh, the ide- ideology is from the left. And so I'm kind of trying to make it mo- a little bit more right um, <laughs> by making their LinkedIn account. And I'm also, I created their first uh, YouTube account and there's one video with like three views. Two are my parents and one is me. So if you guys can give it some love, that would be great. Um, and yeah, that's what I do on a day-to-day basis at Cali Food Collective. And you say you're not a legend. I mean, look at that. <laughs> that's really, really cool. Um, yeah. I'm just a little curious. So did they sponsor your um, like traveling expenses or how did it go? Because like you're not just, you know, volunteering from like from home, kind of doing it online remotely, but you're actually physically there um, doing hands on work. So could you share a bit more about that? Yeah. So in terms of financial um, aid, it really is the cheapest trip I've ever taken. I just had to pay for the uh, for the flight. And for the flight, anyways, I'm going to be in Rotterdam. So it's not like I was going to come back to Canada anyways. It's just a flight there. And once you're here, the food is taken, well, basically taken care of because a lot of what the food we give to the migrants, sometimes it goes expired. Sometimes we don't have enough to give to every single uh, refugee because if you give a pack of sardines to one, you have to give a pack of sardines to everybody or else it's going to cause more tension and we don't want that at all. So if there's, for example, 400 packs of sardines, but we only we have a refugee camp of 700, then we can't we can't give because then there's going to be 300 people saying, like, where are my sardines? You know, like you don't want to cause more tension. That's already happened. And, you know, our our goal is solidarity and not charity. That's something we learned in the third world certificate there. Um, So we're really trying to be solidarity and not charity. Um, But yeah, in terms of financial expenses, um, lunch is taken care of by RCK. So we're in the same uh, warehouse as the refugee community kitchen. And the refugee community kitchen has a different approach to the the whole system in Calais. They distribute food that is ready to eat right away. So the refugees, they can line up at the back of the van and they eat from the van what is given to them right away. Whereas Cali Food Collective is, they have to cook themselves. We give them rice that they have to cook. We give them lentils that they have to cook. We give them, overall, they have to cook themselves. Whereas for Refugee Community Kitchen, they have to eat it right away on the spot. So they have to be there when the van is there and 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 that's it and so the lunch is taken care of them uh by them and is provided to us to all the volunteers by them and also for accommodation they give very cheap accommodation it's 10 euros a night the place i'm staying at it's really nice for the first month you have to take care of your accommodation and then for the second month i mean it's paid for by the cali food collective because we do have uh finances and we do have like enough money for that 
what else? What else is taken care of? And then when you come home, most often there's always going to be food. You can find food everywhere. It's it's very the kindness of strangers is going to bring you very far. Um, I haven't gone shopping in like two weeks because there's just free stuff everywhere. Once again, I'm very cheap. I haven't spent a lot. Um, but yeah, so financially, it's not it's not difficult. Like there are ways to to come here and and be well well taken care of. Um, and especially if you mention I I cannot I don't have the means to pay for it. It's completely fine. We don't want that the financial burden of somebody like impacts the group. So we really want to make sure that everybody who wants to come can come. So yeah, that's financially what the situation is. Thank you for your answer. That's a very interesting answer and with a lot of details too. So we really appreciate that. And um, I guess my last question regarding this topic, actually two questions, but they're kind of like mishy, mashy together kind of thing. Um, The first would be, what did you learn through this experience? And then the follow-up question to that would be, was it scary? Um, Was it nerve-wracking? How did you feel about going abroad all by yourself for this experience? This is going to be a long one to answer, but it's okay. I hope my viewers or listeners are interested. I'll try to make it as interesting as possible. So I learned a lot of things. Um, number one about myself is that I love the humanitarian sector, and I'm definitely going to go into it in the future um, because there's always problems to be solved and there's always work to be done. And I love work. I'm obsessed with work. And I'm also learning how to lead, especially in stressful situations. So when there's a lot of tension, I know how to deal with that. I know that I can be the calm figure in the group if people are stressed. Um, So that's interesting. And about the world, I learned so much. I learned what a police eviction is. Um, For those that don't know, it's basically the police comes into the refugee camps, evicts, uh, takes, basically tells all the migrants to separate and to move away from the area that they're living in, takes away their tents, takes away their life jackets, takes away... um, bikes basically everything that they can see um to displace the people even more and to make them kind of break mentally and physically it's it's very it's a very hard topic to to deal with but i i i learned that um i saw police eviction happen it's it's not pleasing to the eye at all but it happens i also learned about anarchy um never i had heard of it before but the first thing i learned um, coming in here, they told me during the interview, it's a flat structure. To me, I was like, what is a flat structure? I was only used to pyramids um, and like having CEOs and having clear, clear cut. You know, if you have a problem, refer to the person above. And here it's flat. So if you have a question, it's kind of like, who do you ask? But to my to my surprise, it works. Um, <laughs> and I won't delve in further because I don't want it to be like a political debate. But I still don't know which ideology I support uh, most. But I learned about anarchy and they're kind of interested in in what I believe in and what's happening in Canada. Um, I also learned what ACAB stands for. I never knew what what that meant. Um, If you don't know, I don't want to swear on this podcast. So you guys can just look it up. It's ACAB. Um, And I also learned about power dynamics, how that works. Uh, A lot of the guys, as soon as they say I come from Canada, they say, my dream is to come to Canada. And I just, I can't reply to that. I don't want to say good luck because it looks kind of weird. And to this day, like, I still don't know how to reply to that. So there's definitely power dynamics and you have to try to reduce that as much as possible. 
there's also guys who say, like, why do you not want my phone number? And that question is also hard to reply to because you don't want to say, you know, like, there's, I mean, they just met us for sure. But then there's also the, like, even even now I'm speechless. Like, I, I don't know how to respond to that to that answer. Normally, I just say, I have to work, I have to work. But then you see the guys over and over again because they keep not making it to, to England and they keep trying. Um, but, you know, it takes some time to get to England, of course. And then also in power dynamics, there's also the whole concept of hugging. If they initiate the hug, you can go for it. But if they don't, like, you don't hug a stranger the first time you meet, you know? Um, so you have to keep that in mind. And just how to deal with emergency responses and the fact that every association is there for a reason. And without the Cali Food Collective, Refugee Community Kitchen would be um, struggling. But without, for example, Infobus, which charges phones at the refugee camps we would be in in trouble so it's 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 a bunch of pieces of puzzle that come together and and help everybody and in terms of if i found it overwhelming i mean yes of course of course moving to a different continent is hard but at the same time i've done i've done kind of more crazy stuff and my parents were kind of emma you're going to france like it's a it's a country we know uh, it's a country we've been to so it's okay. Um, like I remember in December 2020, I went to Panama City alone during the global pandemic uh, to spend Christmas on a boat with two strangers. To them, that scared them. And so when I said I'm going to Calais in France, they're like, you know what? Go ahead. All that's that's you can go. Like there's no problem with that. It's safe. Um, so they were extremely apprehensive of that. But I found that the hardest thing was definitely leaving Montreal. Because I kind of left everything the last minute. I booked my flight literally, I think, three or four days um, after my final exam. So I was leaving right away immediately. And I didn't really have time to tell people, you know, I'm leaving. But, I'm, you know, when they asked me, when are you coming back? It was hard because, like, I'm not, I'm not coming back to Canada. I'm not coming back to Montreal in probably until Christmas. So that was the most, the hardest thing because... That's when it got overwhelming, overwhelming in that like I, I had forgotten to tell people, you know, I'm, I'm moving out. I'm going to Rotterdam after Calais. And so that was the overwhelming part. I wasn't scared, but kind of telling people I was leaving and telling people I was no longer going to be in Montreal. And I disappointed kind of a lot of people because I, I didn't make sure that they knew. Uh, so that was the hardest part. That's what made it overwhelming was that I didn't, I didn't handle that well. I didn't handle the goodbyes well. Which is, which is something to learn in the future and it's something to learn for the listeners that if you're moving out, like, learn from me and actually tell people that uh, you're going, which is, which is, yeah, which is hard. Actually, before we go any further, I just want to say that the links for volunteering will be down in the description below, including the video for the <laughs> YouTube channel for Calais Food Collective. Yeah. We'll be sure to put it there. Um, yeah, and one final question to close it off with extracurricular. So what are some of your unusual extracurricular activities that you unusual. did? Unusual. Um, I think a lot of them that I did are unusual because as I said, like I signed up, I sign up for literally everything and then I narrow it down to things I don't like and things I do like. Um, but normally those that are unusual, I tend to tend to leave. Um, I, I remember I joined, not that Mary Munn is, not that Model UN is unusual, but I, like, to me, political debates, I find so, I don't know, I don't know, I just don't like them. 
So I found that unusual. Like I signed up for it as usual, but then I just I just didn't really like it. I didn't not that it's bad, but I didn't see the point of it. But that's also me. Like I I I know other people. Like one of my best friends, she loves Molly Wen. She goes crazy for Molly Wen. So it definitely interests a lot of people. But for me, it didn't it didn't it didn't click. So that would be unusual. It was just weird. I didn't understand the crises and everything. I'm sure you guys do model UN, but maybe you disagree, but I don't know. I, I didn't, I, I find it kind of weird. <laughs> Actually, we don't do model UN, so we're like a bunch of people who don't do model yeah. UN. Yeah, <laughs> we're on your team. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was just strange. But you know what, like for the people who do it, honestly, have fun. Like if it makes you happy, like go all out. But to me, I was just, why are we, why are we debating on something that are just, I don't know. I don't want to roast Model UN. I love Model UN. I love the people that like support Model UN. They're cool. <laughs> okay. Um, then uh, we're going to talk about uh, your university, which is Erasmus University Rotterdam. So, did you always want to go to Rotterdam for the university, or was it more by happenstance that you you just found out about this university and you wanted to go there? Okay. Um, so this story is actually a funny one. Um, I was just stalking people on LinkedIn, to be honest. Um, and I stalked one of my old friends. He went to Collège de Montréal with me. His name is Lars Schoening. And I, and I stalked him on LinkedIn. Or he tried to connect with me, and then I accepted. And then I was just too curious to know, you know, where he is and, and what he does. And I saw Erasmus University, Rotterdam School of Management, International Business Administration. And we had always gotten along very, very well. And he was always traveling, and it was something that I've always wanted to do. And so I, I got curious, of course. And I looked at it and it looked like the perfect program for me. And then also after, like, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, during the pandemic, my mom and I would go swimming in the morning before the classes, before my first 815 class. And literally while I was doing the laps, like, I couldn't stop thinking, this is the perfect program for me. So it really was, like, just trusting my intuition, trusting my gut that it was, it was a good university for me um, because it was so international, because... It was a challenge to move out. I've always known that I wanted to move out early, um, but I just didn't know where um, and I didn't know when. So yeah, it, it definitely happened by, by luck. Like if I hadn't known who that friend was and if he hadn't connected with me on LinkedIn, then I would have never been at uh, the Erasmus, not the Rotterdam School of Management. So moral of the story is to stalk people, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, we all do that in honors commerce or in honors math and finance. We just go on LinkedIn. It's it's my favorite pastime. I love doing that. It's so interesting. People have such interesting lives. And I feel I so great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then the Erasmus University Rotterdam also have a lot of different majors for their business school. So why did you choose that specific major? Um, I chose international business administration. Because oh I'm I'm definitely gonna be a silver key at uh, Rotterdam, so I have to get used to these types of questions. Um, because it's number one, it's very international. I love things overall that are international that deal with and and delve into global development and global studies and anything that links every member of the world is in super interesting to me. And so I wanted to go into something international once again. And I heard, and from the website, it's written that 70% of the people going there are from different countries and are not Dutch. So 30% are Dutch and 70% are from different countries. So that's super interesting because I know that 
whenever I travel in the future, I'll always have homes to stay in. Um, once again, the topic of cheapness, I hate paying for hotels. Um, but yeah, like, and I'm not just doing this to get free hotels in the future, definitely not. But to meet people that have the same interest and same desire to travel and see the world um, is something that I, I really am excited for. And it's in less than 15 days that I'm going. So it's definitely a, a change in my life that I'm super pumped for. And did you think about any other universities besides going to Netherlands as you wanted to move out? Did you ever consider the States or, for instance, uh, United Kingdom for university? Uh, states, no, because I, I, I didn't think I was smart enough. I'll be 100% honest with you. I didn't think I was um, ready to do that. And not that the States is, is bad, but I find it's very similar to Canada. Um, and I wanted a little bit more of a, a dipismo um of a like a culture shock like a have more of a of a change the the paysage and mm-hmm. so that's that's why i decided to go to Rotterdam but also i i absolutely love challenges like i've mentioned previously and i've like i applied to we can maybe talk about this i applied to UBC UFT McGill McGill was my backup backup plan i really didn't want to go because i knew that i wanted to go somewhere international because I feel like if I had gone to Miguel, I would have had the same friends. What is it's it, Montreal is the most beautiful city, but it's also my home, and I wanted to kind of see and explore different things. Uh, and so I also applied uh, to the University of Amsterdam, but no, none of uh, the UK schools because they also were asking for a bunch of standardized tests like the Cambridge, and and those are all very expensive. And I just didn't feel like putting in the effort when I knew what I wanted right away, um, which was Rotterdam. And so I just crossed my fingers and hoped that Rotterdam would work out or else I would have gone to either UBC or U of T. Okay. And given the fact that most students in Canada, especially in CGF uh, here at Marinopolis, are thinking of going to a Canadian university or uh, in-province university or to the States, uh, how did you learn about the opportunities in Europe, uh, given the fact that it's more like a niche? Yeah, definitely. Um so my mom is French. She has French citizenship. I have a French passport. And so I kind of know more, like, obviously, like, when when your parents are from a country, they know more about the country and they can suggest to you um, what universities are the best in that specific area. And so I got a lot of help and support from my family, but also a um, little shout out to Pauline Grégoire. She was super um, helpful. She also looked at a bunch of universities for me, um, international universities, and that was super helpful. Um, so definitely, I think number one advice would be to reach out to your network, ask people, where do you think you see me in 10 years? Where do you think I should go to university? Which university really is like, like in on yet, like is linked up with my values and and who do I feel I will fit best in? And to me, that was the Rotterdam School of Management. And I'm saying this, all of this now, but like, I have no idea if I'm making the wrong, the right choice. I have no idea. We'll see in a year, we'll have another podcast session. And maybe like my podcast here is going to sound completely ridiculous. But it's going to be funny. It's going to be funny. Definitely. We'll leave it to, I guess, maybe perhaps next year's zigzag, whoever do this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll hand it to Camila to talk about uh, what classes you took. Yeah, definitely. So I guess Henry sort of asked that question for me. Um, while we were at Marinopolis, we had the option to take some electives or like choose from a list kind of thing, depending on your program. 
So um, which classes did you choose and why? Um, so the classes I took, for, for, but I had to follow the, the, the course registration guidelines. So the mandatory courses, I took them all. I had to take them. But I remember for the other classes where I had the choice, I would always pick something international. Not that I wanted to go to Erasmus, but it's just because I, I was so interested in something that permitted me to move. I'm obsessed with it. You guys are going to see it. Like, I'm obsessed with moving. I'm a nomad. But, for example, a little shout-out to Philip Dan. Um, I, went, I had two of his classes. I think it was Atlantic Canadian Literature and Contemporary Travel Writing. And that really helped me kind of discover even more that it, it helped me travel when there was COVID. And that was super cool of him to make us do. And then there was also, for example, I took a class with Lily Soucy in French. It was called Littérature Migrante. And that, I mean, that's so, like, on topic right now of how, how do migrants and how do displaced people come into a different country and how do they feel and how do they write literature. That was super interesting. Um, for complementaries, I always chose classes that were, once again, international. I'm sorry to be so boring, but I took a Spanish class with uh, David Escamilla. Um, then in terms of my humanities, also international, I took um, ethics of, oh, what was it called? <laughs> Isn't it so sad that you spend like 60 hours of your life on a specific course and then you don't remember anything of it? No, we get it. You get it, eh? I had um, Sofia Kutsoyanis. Um, I had her for uh, the thing, the thing about colonialism in Latin America. So that was a humanities that I took, and then I also took Rachel Levine about Rome. So as you can see, like there's a common theme in all these courses is that there are different parts of the world. I was always learning about different parts of the world at all times when I had the choice to do so. And also, I took world geography with uh, Jean-Michel Coram, and that was also super interesting. Um, so yeah, there's a common theme, and that's international. So that's what's be beautiful about Miranopolis is that you can really pick the courses you would like to 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 have if you're if you're lucky with registration, of course. Um, but yeah, that's that's how I pick my courses. If I'm interested in them, then I'm going to pick them. If I'm not, then I'm not. Like I didn't take finance, for example. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. Um, and I mean, international is always interesting. So that's never boring, Emma, don't worry. Um, and I guess a follow-up question to that would be, how did you configure your classes and make your application look more appealing to certain schools? Um, to be honest, I don't want, I don't want to lie. Like I, I completely did not configure my classes to get admitted to certain universities. I didn't think that would they would look at the classes. I I don't know anything about the admission process at different schools, but I don't I don't know if they do check those classes. If they did, they did. Um, but I really did not configure my classes. I configured my classes for times. So like I love starting early in the morning at eight fifteen. So I always had a class then so that I could finish relatively early, like at two, and I could have my soccer practice at four. Um, I configure my classes like that, not according to university decisions sorry no no fair enough fair enough i mean that's an answer right yeah um so speaking of uh grades classes extracurriculars how did you manage uh your time between extracurriculars and your grade um my number one tip all the time is to have an agenda and that sounds very like you hear that all the time 
Um, but you really have to know what works for you. And for me, it's just having an agenda, writing down literally every single time somebody sent me in Mayo saying, we have a meeting at eight at activity period. I wrote it down, even if it was like a month ahead of time, I just wrote it down so that I knew I could dedicate that time to that specific club. Um, so having an agenda, also this works for me once again, but having a checklist. And sometimes I literally put items on the checklist just to be able to scratch them off. I'm I'm a very visual person, so if I can take items off my checklist, that's very satisfying to me. Um, so my number two tips would be have a checklist and have an agenda. Like spend two dollars and <laughs> once again very cheap. Spend two dollars at Dollarama on an agenda. That's what I did. Um, and then just write everything in it. Um, and then checklist on your on your computer and your phone. Yeah, time management. It's it's a skill to to really learn and develop. Like I'm not an expert at time management at all, but I'm 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 hoping to be by the end. Like when I'm an ad- adult. Well, technically I'm an adult already, but when I'm like 45. So if you had to choose between uh, grades or extracurriculars, which one would you choose? I mean. To me, to me, I I really didn't think too much about the universities. I just tried to enjoy myself as as much as possible, because I knew that if I enjoy myself, if I if I was following the path that I wanted to be following, um, you know, everything would end up like where I wanted it to end up. And that sounds philosophical, but really, I just I not that I didn't care about the grades, but I focused on getting good grades. Like I definitely. If I wasn't getting good grades, I wouldn't have signed up for all those extracurriculars. But to me, I set myself goals, and if I reach those goals and I can do more, um, then I just, I, like the expression says, I just full send, and I sign up to more things and more things and more things. Um, so I, grades, I'm giving a political answer. I'm not even realizing it. Uh, grades are extracurriculars. Obviously, I'm going to say extracurriculars because grades are not everything at all. Like you can be disappointed that you get. A bad grade or that you fail but it really isn't the end of the world as you've just seen me literally forget a class that I took and that I spent so many hours on I just forgot about it and all the exams that I was stressing about really they do not matter in the end like I don't remember half of the things I did in my first year at Marinopolis except the memories that I created at extracurricular activities and at the end of the day I don't think universities I mean, I, I don't want to speak for universities. I really have no idea what they do in those admissions rooms. But yeah, I would pick extracurriculars for sure. Well, first of all, I just want to say that's a very, very interesting and well-put answer. Um, I think there are a lot of us out there a little lost, not too sure what should we invest more time in. And I'm sure your answer just now will help a lot of us like better understand ourselves and um, know how to manage things a little bit better. So thank you for that. Um, I think more on the topic of universities, we would just like to ask you um, if you did get any um, recommendations letters or recommendation letters, and um, how did you choose the teachers who you asked for recommendation letters from if you did ask for any? I personally did not need to ask for any. Um, but once again, like I do know that maybe I think medicine is, I don't know, I don't want to spread misinformation. Um, but I, I didn't need any recommendation letters, but I think the tip to give if you do ask for recommendation letters is not to show up to a random teacher and say, hey, write a text for me. You just write a polite Mayo, just hello, good morning, Mr. Blah, blah, blah. 
I hope that this message finds you doing well. Um, and then you just be polite and then you say, have a nice day. You write your name. Um, I think just sending a polite Mayo and, and honestly offering, like, if, if it is okay, just make it, if that is possible, if you are available, really, it's on your schedule. If you don't want to write me one, you don't have to write me one. I don't want to give publicity too much, but Andrew Burton, he, he gives a class on that. I didn't take it. Uh, my registration wasn't that successful, but he gives a class on that, on how to approach teachers um, for recommendation letters. Uh, I think it's like, it's literally a science. Like people have written about that. Um, but you know, I would just ask people that teachers that you go to office hours a lot. I go to so many office hours. It's embarrassing. And so for the teachers that I went to a lot of office hours in, I would always ask them if, if I were to ask them, I would ask them. Um, because they know that I put, that I go the extra mile and that I, that I really want to succeed in their class. And if they see that you work hard, then, then they'll do anything for it, for you to like, achieve your goals and achieve your dreams that's very cringy but that's <laughs> no not really not really we love to cringe um, um continuing on with the topic of universities we were also wondering if you did submit any supplemental elements such as research papers um art um achievements or board achievements etc um in terms of like awards like i, I literally have none uh, so I would be submitting nothing. Um, <laughs> um, and then for like art, obviously I have no talent in art, so I didn't submit anything. They would have rejected me right away. Um, and then for the, what was the last one? Oh, research papers. Oh, no, no, no. Like that's, I feel like that's master's that they asked for that. But no, for <sighs> bachelor's, they don't. They, well, for my, for my Rotterdam School of Management, at least, uh, they did not ask for that. They did ask for a motivation letter. But the motivation letter was, um, what makes you want to go to international business at Rotterdam School of Management? And so I had to do a little bit of research on what they stand for. And they stand for positive change. So I had to come up with my own definition of positive change, what that means, what businesses have to do to create positive change and not only strive for profit, profit, profit. And then, I mean, I think everybody does this, but then show your entourage kind of what you've been working on edit it a bunch of times i personally sent it to to my buddy at rsm um that i knew on the linkedin that i spoke to you about uh and he he drafted it up he corrected it he made sure that i didn't say anything very stupid and you know having been there he was a super um useful you know source resource to use um not that he's a resource but um and then I asked my parents to look over it and everything and I really had my entire the entire support my entire like family and my friends were all um in it to win it (laughs) that's really really cool um and we're glad to hear that um Henry do you want to wrap things up with the last few questions yeah um so Given the fact that you're going to universities outside Canada, do you have some general tips for students applying to universities outside of uh, the country? Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely do it ahead of time. Don't don't wait till the last minute. If I can give you one tip, would be literally if you're listening to this podcast right now, just go check the universities that you think you're interested in and scroll through the websites. Their websites they don't change too much, so you can. 
start checking. Start checking when the deadlines are. I know that for Erasmus, for Rotterdam School of Management, it was January 15th. And that's pretty early considering that for McGill, I, it was, I think, mid, mid-March. mid I, I don't really remember, but it was way later. And so international universities, they do it ahead of time because they have so many more supplemental um, information that they have to that they have to give. I mean, for example, f- me, uh, Quebec, uh, Quebec, and uh, uh, Nobody knows about it. It's the only we're the only province and only. I mean, Quebec is not a country, but it's the only region in in the world to do DRC. Uh, so the admissions had to look at my application and be like, okay, what is a DRC? What does that stand for? What does that symbolize in Holland? And so really. Um, just take your time, but also look at the websites immediately. Just start checking what you would be most interested in, and and do not give up, and do not feel stressed. Like it's a lot of information, but if you do it ahead of time, then it's fine, and then you know the dates. Write the dates in your agenda. Like I still know to this day that the deadline for RSM, uh, Rotterdam School of Management, was January fifteenth, and that we will receive the results on April fifteenth because. Those dates were so pounded in my head that, um, like, I knew the dates by heart at that point. But I was, I was just obsessed with getting into that school. To be honest, it wasn't healthy. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that's my- so. Actually, before the last question, can can we ask what was your uh, reaction when you received your admission letter? Oh my god, you want to know? You want to know a fun fact? I'll tell you a fun fact. Um, so basically. The n- numbers from 1 to 650 got admitted right away. Um, and I was number 652. So technically, at first, I, wasn't, I was on the wait list. And then, like, the day after. So my first reaction was like, oh, my God, I'm not getting into the school. Because I was, I had two, two people had to leave their spot at the Rotterdam School of Management for me to get in. So automatically, like, I wasn't even selected the first. Not at all, because I'm not that smart. but. I was number 652. So my first reaction was just, okay, I failed. I'm a failure. And I called my parents. I was crying. And I had even gone to a soccer field. Uh, It's called Rutherford Park. And I had gone because I knew that if it would have been a bad result, I wanted to kick a ball and just kick it with as as hard as possible. I would have been so disappointed. But then I actually ended up like crying. of like either joy or sadness. I still don't know to this day. And I was just kind of waiting for two people to, to leave the program and to be like, okay, well, I got admitted into Harvard, so obviously I'm not coming to RSM. Um, but yeah, so the next morning I woke up to really good news and then, then I started freaking out. Then that's, that's when I was like, oh my God, I'm moving to, to Holland. Um, final, final question. What are your plans for university and uh, after university? Oh, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, so right now, um, I'm really, really loving the humanitarian section, sector. Um, I plan on, on doing that during the summers. So I think next, next summer, I really want to go to Greece to help alleviate the crisis over there. But of course, like, people are always going to be moving. So you can pick whichever part of the globe you would like to go to. And now that I have a little bit more connections, um, I kind of know the associations and what their, their backgrounds are. So I've spoken to a lot of people and I know kind of which organizations I already want to go to next summer. Um, so that's next summer. And then in terms of, I mean, going to RSM, going to school, I'm going to be there for the next three years. 
and then i mean after after i don't even know what's happening tomorrow but um after i think i really want to make sure that i'm starting to rethink the whole idea of what a business is um whether it's for profit or whether it's actually to help people i really want to help people as much as possible i don't know in which because there are so many problems in the world i want to focus on one um and right now it's it's turning to humanitarian issues um but yeah like maybe I, i'm not smart enough to create my own business i'm not creative enough creative enough to, to to create my own business but if i can join one that has already been created and then work not work my way up because it's probably going to be a flat organism uh like organization um then 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 i can do that but i literally have no idea um it's is go with the flow as usual like sign up for everything then go with the flow and 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 just trust your gut trust your intuition perfect uh, thank you for that answer and uh, actually thank you for your time for being here we'll close it off that was a wonderful interview very fun to do and yeah thank you for coming